0: My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of The Evening Standard and Darren Lewis of The Daily Mirror. Well, we've got ourselves a title race. Liverpool going to a huge week at the top of the Premier League. They need another special Anfield night on Tuesday. Overcoming Napoli will require nerve, discipline and adventure. Then on Sunday, they face one of the great tribal challenges, a visit from Manchester United. We'll know a lot more about them this time next week, won't we, Tony?
2: Well, we definitely will. But before we go into that, can we just take a moment to thank Jordan Pickford? <laughs> because if he pushes the ball over the bar at Anfield last week, then City is still top of the league, and we haven't got a title race. Um, so, cup hero, Jordan Pickford. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I think uh, people expected Liverpool to push City. Close this season, but perhaps not quite as close as it's been at at the moment. And for Liverpool to go into and uh, in, hopefully into Christmas top of the league, and you know, sort of creating an actual real live title race would be absolutely brilliant. I don't think that they can actually live with City over the course of the entire season, but um, I think the squad's just a little bit too thin. But I think they're doing great with the resources they've got, and they haven't really clicked yet. Well, no. they, they, they did against, uh, played well against Bournemouth, but they haven't shown any of the, uh, haven't shown much of the style that they uh, you know produced in the spring.
0: Does that resilience impress you, Darren? Absolutely. Uh, I
1: think they've been. Terrific so far this season. Defensively, they've had their problems and they've gone out and they've sold them. New goalkeeper, an outstanding goalkeeper. And Virgil van Dijk, who's been sensational so far this season. I saw them at Watford, spoke to van Dijk. Van Dijk talked about the willingness to learn of the players around him, about the fact that he's not particularly bothered by what City do, they just focused on themselves. And talked about that that determination to... to Maintained the consistency that's put them into that disposition. It's fascinated me that for all Liverpool have done this season, people have not been willing to accept that they're title contenders. We mm. do this often in football. Someone has a good first three months of the season, and we go, we talk about them either a going the season unbeaten or b winning the title before the Christmas mm. decorations have gone up. And I think City are magnificent. We know City mm. are a wonderful team, um, but I think. You don't get extra points for artistic impression, you know. Mm. You, you you get points for clean sheets, well, for, for, for winning football matches. Mm. Keeping clean sheets, as far as Liverpool is concerned, is going to be the bedrock to their title campaign. Mm. And as you say, that front three, they haven't even reached top gear yet. Well,
2: it, it, I think it's interesting as well that uh, in the last couple of weeks, Fabinho and Kieta are beginning to produce, they're beginning to show signs of being the players that. Uh, everyone thought they might be.
1: And Can I just say, Tony, y- y- this time last year, Andy Robertson, people were, were, were not quite sure about him. And then he obviously came and came made <laughs> And then you got got People, We know what he did when he was at Leipzig mm. and yet people are still saying, well, not, don't fancy it. And they're not factoring the time that he needs time to adapt oh, to a Liverpool way. And he's had, he's
2: had a few injuries, little niggles that have, have slowed him down. But all the players, they all rave about him. They all think he's brilliant. So I think um, they're expecting great things from him. And uh, if he can produce, then I think the midfield has been... Now that the defence is sort of, the midfield has been... Klopp's thorniest problem. And if you can get the right balance there, then they're well set up to go into the new year.
0: They have got leadership. You know, you, you talked about Van Dyke there and he's, he exemplifies that. Uh, you know, we're speaking on a day where Joe Gomez has signed a new contract until 2024. OK, he's, he's overcoming uh, the injuries sustained against Burnley. But there's someone who's, who basically looks up to Van Dyke and says, mm. you know, if I can do as good as him. Mm. He's also one of that new generation of England players that you can relate to?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Young, black, talented, um, very, very uh, mature head on his shoulders, uh, reads the game exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as far as he is concerned, we spoke to him after the game between England and Croatia, and he talked about just how much Virgil van Dijk had helped his game, uh, the leadership, the way that he's taken them under his wing. Uh, and I think... As an individual, Gomez is going to be a terrific player for England. But within that Liverpool tactical setup, he's mm. going to be key to them in the second half of the season. But I think, you know, I, I think about that Watford game in particular, and I spoke to Van Dyke after the Watford game, and he actually gave all the credits to Gomez and said Look, he's so willing to take stuff on board and and whatever else. But I think that Watford game for me was key because in, they were very, very patient. There, this mm. is the new patience about Liverpool, about the way they go about their business. If things aren't going there well they don't panic and they're certainly not all over the place like they were at the back last season. That's why... I'm well, so that's confident. the that's a difference isn't it? They can afford
2: to be patient now because the is at the back and, and you know if, the, if he's got his first choice back four out then you don't have to worry too much and of course Alisson has come in um, and you, know, you pay a lot of money for a goalkeeper um, but I, I reckon I was Tottenham, tottenham up the other day, he's probably saved Liverpool at least 12 points. Mm,
0: yeah, mm. yeah. You don't need telling that Liverpool's an emotionally driven football club. Mm. Um, what is the danger of almost over-enthusi- over-enthusiasm, you know, that exuberance that sometimes, you know, OK, we're here now, you know, l- let's talk as if almost we've won the title already, although we're only two points ahead of City.
2: Yeah, the, the, I mean, sometimes it can run away with itself as well. And Klopp sort of feeds that, you know, there's um, one man pitch invasion against Everton. You know, it's um, I, actually, yeah, I prefer that to after a draw against West Brom leading the players to take the claim from the cop. You know what I mean? I don't mind it when they're winning. Um, but no, there, there is a. They, they do walk along an, an, an emotional ledge, which um, it doesn't take much to topple them off it. But I think Van Dijk just his very presence. And, he, you know, I, I think what Darren said is w- one of the big characteristics of him. He's generous to people around him. He's not, he's not a selfish player. Mm. He, he, he helps people. He, he, he talks, you know, a Liverpool
1: centre-earth who talks to people around him. Wow, it's, um, <laughs> I haven't seen that for quite a while. You and, Tony, it's interesting, forgive me, if you look at Holland and the resurgence of Holland, Van Dyke is key to that as well. Yep. He's got the elite around him as well. He's got players that need that kind of leadership in that team. Mm. And under Koeman, they've blossomed. They've fruited the Nations Cup, uh, Nations League uh, semi-finals, and he is a key figure in that resurgence because of the leadership that you're talking about. Yeah, I think he's. You know, obviously Salah will score goals, and he'll continue to score goals.
2: But I think Van Dyke is the most important player at the club at the moment. Mm.
0: What about? Um, the tight race, do you think they can sustain it? You know, they're in pretty rare territory at the moment. I think there's only three clubs had better starts to a season. Mm. Uh, sorry, three teams. The Spurs double side of 60-61, uh, the Chelsea side and uh, of 05-06 uh, and then the Man City one of last season. Mm. Um, can they keep up that level? Yeah, I think they can. I think the
2: outside the top Four or five, and you know, sort of, give, given United's problems this season, um, it is his four or five? I, I think most of the teams in the league are beatable by Liverpool. Um, I think everyone's beatable. I mean, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen that um, the, the, the the teams outside the, t- the top six have, have basically been steamrolled by the the big boys this season, and and they're not really challenging them enough and I think that will play into Liverpool's hands the same way it plays into City uh, the, and, and then the, the most obvious thing is it'll be the games between the the so-called big clubs which will matter and we saw City dropping points at, at Chelsea there and, and that's the sort of games that they've got and, and the, the, the funny thing is Liverpool are quite well equipped to play the likes of City to play the likes of Chelsea because they, uh, you know, it's a more open game and they'll, they get more space uh, the, the problems Klopp side's had over the previous three years is when people came and put a blanket to fences, Anfield mm-hmm. and squeezed the
0: space yes. in the last days. Yeah. So what then will be the nature of the threat that Napoli pose on Tuesday night? Well,
1: uh, they've got a very canny manager in, uh, and uh, I think as far as the firepower is concerned, well, they were winners at the weekend against Frosinoni, uh, very easy winners as well. That was their third win on the spin. And I think... Um, They will go to Liverpool knowing that the pressure is all on them to keep a clean sheet, first of all. And they are so potent in front of goal that they could test that defensive solidity that Liverpool have. But I think if Liverpool maintain the belief, and, and at the weekend I was at Bournemouth, Liverpool and Klopp, Uh, with the daily newspapers, was talking about that belief that he has in his team, in his Mm. defence, in Mo Salah, despite people not believing that he's quite the same player as he was last season. 42 goals,
0: (laughs) 52 games. It's
1: ridiculous, (laughs) isn't it? You know, I I remember at the start of the season where people were were kind of rightly giving Eden Hazard the, 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 the credit he deserves, but almost dismissing what Salah had done when he had scored more goals last season than Hazard scored for the previous three seasons. So Klopp was talking about that belief that he has in Salah and I think that hat-trick has come at just the right time for him and his mm-hmm. confidence, and you t- look see the manner of two of the goals he scored, mm-hmm. and you see that here's a player now getting back to those heights of last season. But Mane came on late in the game. They've got that depth. Shakiri can now come on if things aren't going quite mm-hmm. their way. Uh, Firmino is starting now to look like the player he was last season as well. Um, so... Yeah, the nature of the threat that Napoli poses will be very strong. They're very potent side, but I think Liverpool will have the tools to be able to defend against them. I, I
2: don't think Liverpool have pressed quite as hard this year the opposition as they did last season, and I think uh, I think Napoli will be an occasion where he'll want to do that an awful lot. Uh, you know, you can't let Napoli have the ball in midfield. No. You can't give them time, and uh, you know, in much the same way as Roma in the first leg of the sem- semi last year. You know, they at them early on and they, they, they didn't let them settle on the ball. And I think that will be part of the plan. And, and, and doing that harnesses
0: the emotion of the grounds and, and, and club himself. We, so talk, we talk a lot about, you know, great Anfield nights. Hmm. Can you sort of isolate the ingredients which makes a great Anfield night? Um, alcohol. Um. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think <laughs> what
2: it is, is is it's the tradition, you know. So, it's a, it, I mean, they've become almost part of folklore, you know. Saint-Étienne, you know, it's uh, Olympiakos, yeah, uh, Chelsea, you know, it's uh, and they've become part. And, and people buy into it and want to be part of it. And there's there's the, the excitement uh, on um, a European night at Anfield. It's building mm-hmm. in, in a much different way to the um, the. the it's sort of a saty afternoon three o'clock kickoff. What was interesting last year is when they played City in the um in, in the quarter final. I was walking up the grounds and you know, so there was loads of people come out to, to meet the coaches and the city coaches. We all know that that turned into a a, a relatively ugly incident. Mm-hmm. But um but there was a gang of lads and they were walking away from the grounds and they'd been up there to, to, to greet the coaches. And they weren't young. They were in their mid twenties and they were saying all right, where should we watch it? They weren't even going into the game. You know, they didn't have tickets. But the being to be, you know, and and it's that sort of, it's that mood and that desperation to win that elevates the Knights into something
1: different. It was interesting, Klopp at the weekend was um, saying to us that he was calling, specifically crawling on the Anfield crowd to make it an intimidating atmosphere, Mm. to make it a special... He said we need... supporters which Mm. is not unusual at all but it's quite fascinating that he Mm. knows that that is an element of those big successful European nights. oh
2: yeah, yeah, and you know you talk to you talk to players who who have played against them, and you know and, and they'll, they'll, they they often say in, in in public oh it doesn't matter and in private they 'll say you don 't know what it was like it's like you know it's um, i mean Ch- the Chelsea players in two thousand and five they, they talk about like they said like the, the 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 Liverpool players picked up on the energy of the crowd and it was frantic you know they they were getting into into them you know sort of really sort of um, desperately and quickly. And they said, you know, you, you just couldn't settle on the hostility. And uh, players, it does
1: affect them.
0: Yeah, and it won't be quiet on Sunday either, will it? <laughs> no,
1: it won't be. Um, I think uh, the old enemy uh, is never a match for the faint-hearted. And I think these are matches, you know, where we see what players are made of. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. These are players where, these are games where, we see who responds to the challenge of the big game. We talked about Van Dyke. Van Dyke was telling us, you know, these are the games I relish. And he mm. almost cruises through games like that anyway. Uh, but Manchester United, um, a very morale-boosting win for them at the weekend um, against Fulham. Uh, <laughs> Does it mean that all of their problems are over? I don't think so. Um, And I think (laughs) Liverpool are exactly the team to to exploit those weaknesses that they have. But then we thought that about Arsenal as well. And that just kind of tempers the kind of view that Mm. Liverpool could steamroll at them. Mourinho is a past master at getting results when you least expect it. Remember the last time he went to Anfield with Liverpool top of the league? It it ended in slips
2: and tears. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You know, it's um, so. I, I never underestimate Mourinho in these matches, mm-hmm. especially because you know, Anfield was the place he wanted to go, mm-hmm. and he's always held a grudge. You know, in, in 2004, his agent went even before the sack His agent went to Anfield and saw Rick Parry, the chief executive, and basically pleaded for the job, and and that just turns that turned Liverpool against him, and um, and it's always been a it's always been a place where he wants to go and, and, and upset the locals.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk um, almost about the, the institution of a managerial transfer market. If you, you, know, if you follow the, the dots, Mourinho at some stage will leave Manchester United, probably sooner rather than later, maybe. Um, Mendes' agent has already come out and basically set in, in public the terms. You've got to pay my boy up in full. Um, and then they've got to pay Tottenham £40 million pounds to get Pochettino. Is that viable?
1: Uh, Well, it would have to be
0: if they listen. Manchester United as
1: a club. They're like a piece of driftwood floating out to sea, if you think about it, because they're nowhere near the title race. He keeps telling us he can smell the top four. Well, they must be (laughs) on fire. (laughs) Because at the moment, they're nowhere near a top four side. Um, uh, All of the sides in the top four. Chelsea have got that resilience. Spurs have got that consistency. Liverpool have got that defensive solidity. And Manchester City are Rolls-Royce, aren't they? I mean, I think as far as United are concerned, they're some way off. You talk about the agent coming out and saying Manchester United are happy. Well, happy with what? Mm. You know, happy that they've got a huge wage bill and they're nowhere near the title race. Happy that they've got unhappy players at the club. Um, they've got so many potent players who can't score goals, who can't they can't get the best out of on a consistent basis. Um I think they're a very unhappy ship. And he could maybe get those statement wins that might make him uh, enable him to make a point to pundits who have dug him out. But in terms of delivering on what had been expected of him, it's a big, big disappointment. Well, I mean,
2: it looks to me as whenever United win, and you know, so sort of score a lot of goals, it's less to do with Mourinho than the players yes. saying, you know. And there's an awful lot of talent there. And this
0: is the most amazing yeah, thing. Like the, like the Rashford goal yeah. against Fulham. That was a terrific goal, yeah.
2: It's, and, you know, and Rashford, he's been misused by Mourinho. There's, there's a whole host of players who've been misused. What, what's, what's amazing is that um, I've seen him a few times this, this season. And the one thing that strikes me, I've seen a lot of Mourinho teams over the years, they're always compact. They always got back. They always had a good shape. Uh, United don't. They're the most disorganised Mourinho sides I've ever seen. And you know, there's actually players looking at each other. Yeah. Where are we supposed to be at West yeah. Ham? Yeah. They were a shambles. I did that game. I yeah.
1: did that game. It was it was remarkable to watch them in the first half, and see them almost cowering in fear mm. as West Ham passed the ball, stroked the ball around. Yeah, you know, and, and 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 they didn't know what they were doing. And had West Ham taken their chances, they could have scored four or five. By half-time, I saw them against Bournemouth. And again, they were all over the place. Mm. But what happens with Manchester United is they keep getting let off the hook. I was absolutely incredulous that they managed to escape to victory against Juventus. So very clearly the better side. Mm. But again, I keep mentioning, they keep getting those statement wins that enable him to be able to stick a couple of fingers up at people like us. you know. At mm. But... All those wins do is paper over the cracks yeah. because they are fault lines uh, within that side. And I think it may well be the it's somewhere, it may not be Liverpool, it may not be another team, but I think somewhere along the line there is a, a big, big defeat that will widen those yeah. cracks and, and, and actually give the people at the club something to actually uh, think about. Okay, well, let's,
0: if... let's look at t- uh, Tottenham, if we could please, Tony. Um, they've got a similar task to Liverpool in terms of, oh. you know, it's win or bust. Um, they in Barcelona, a Barcelona team, which is already qualified. What's the again the nature of that challenge?
2: Well, I mean it's going to be difficult because even a Barcelona side with um, sort of who are not fully focused uh, mm-hmm. are, are going to be very awkward to beat. In the
0: Messi, Messi didn't look a bad one-legged player, did he? <laughs> yeah, <The
2: weekend>. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean you know sort of. I mean, he got a bit lucky with the, the goals, didn't he? You know, <laughs> you know, sliced it. Um, I mean, the reality is, Tottenham. Tottenham are quite a good side, but they, they've 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 in the last few weeks. But again, like Liverpool, they've not really played well this season, and they've struggled with injuries and tiredness. You know, we, we all know how many Tottenham players played at the World Cup. They seem to be kicking into a bit of form, which has come at the right time. Whether they'll have the gumption and the nous to beat Barcelona is is. It's it's a bit of a stretch, um, but you know, Harry Kane is, is looking at his best, and um, and you know he's always dangerous. And the thing is, I've been a little bit critical of Delhi Alli over the past couple of years because it, it it seemed to me, and and Pochettino, it seemed to me that they couldn't decide what sort of position he was in, whether you know, says so half and half, um, midfields or forwards or a proper midfield. And I personally think. He, He'd be better long term as a proper midfielder, but when he was out earlier on in the season, you could see how Tottenham lacked energy in that midfield. And he gives them, he gives them thrust that will, you know, Barcelona will find very difficult to pick him up. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think if I was a Tottenham fan, I'd be hopeful, even if there's a bit of a stretch.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's a club you know well, Darren. Mm. Um, yeah. it, they're obviously playing Barcelona because we've got the. Came to Barcelona for two hundred million pound stories. <laughs> um, what's your impression of them this season? Because they've they've been, I think I said on this program, sort of spectacularly unspectacular. Yeah, floated on the radar just as they did in that
1: season when they launched that surprise title challenge against Leicester, and they'll be kicking themselves forever, obviously, that they didn't see that through. But I think, as far as the the, the team is concerned, you're right. The World Cup, <clears throat> excuse me, really did killed them in terms of the players that had gone. I think it was well into double figures, the amount of players mm. that had picked up injuries as a result yeah. of coming back so quickly from uh, the World Cup. But what helps them at the moment is, again, they've got that defensive solidity and they've got players who are in form. Son Heung-min scored a beauty at the mm. weekend. Delhi scored at the weekend. Lucas Mora has the ability to get in behind, scored uh, the other day, uh, I think, against Southampton. And Kane was rested, at the weekend as well, mm. specifically for this game, the problem that Spurs have, and there's no point in me sugarcoating it, is that if Messi plays, I think Barcelona will win. Mm. Uh, because I was at the home, the, well, the Wembley leg uh, for this uh, tie, and he was just—it was just one of the best performances I've ever seen in oh the yeah, Champions League. Spectacular, was it? He's spectacular and we were gushing about it for, for, for a couple of days afterwards because he was just so good and Spurs couldn't handle him. It obviously helps Spurs that Barcelona have already qualified. So all they have to do is get a better result on the night than Inter Milan do. But to make certain and be masters of their own destiny, they have to win. Oh. And to be fair to Pochettino, I remember when they had, uh, they had to go to the Bernabeu to play Real Madrid And he said to us a couple of days before, "I'm going to take the team there to win." We all did a Mexican wave of our eyebrows, and (laughs) and he said, "No, no, no. You know, what what is the point in going to clubs like that if you don't have the belief that you're going to go there and win?" That's the reason why clubs like Manchester United are looking at him, because with so many inferior so-called resources, he imbues that belief that they can go to bigger clubs and win and I think he will give them that belief that they can go there and take the game to Barcelona. They've got players who can get in behind with the pace, they've got creativity between the lines and they've got that that defensive solidity. I see no reason why they can't go toe-to-toe with Barcelona, but I think if Messi plays, Barcelona win.
0: Yeah. Both Manchester clubs have qualified for the the next phase. Um, Let's look at City. Um, You saw them lose at Chelsea. What were the lessons of that defeat?
2: Well, for me, it, and it's been a characteristic, less this season, but over the past, well, n- n- five years, City, I've never seen a team that was so good switch off mm. for periods and games that they're dominating and, and let them slip. Now, most of the time, they're good enough to come back into it. But, you know, they, they seem to have a a, a, a concentration issue. And the other and the other big issue for them against Chelsea was Noah Aguero. Mm. There was a little bit of the um, sort of the, the Arsenal of the early two thousands about them. You know, they've got the ball in the box and they're passing it and they're passing it and they're running with it and they're running with it and then it's cleared. Someone shoots, <laughs> you know. And there's, there's a bit of that it, it, it going on. I love on it for when them. you get angry. Oh no, I get the things like that. But um, they, they were so dominant in the first half. Uh, you know. We, 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 when Chelsea scored, everyone was in a state of shock. You know, it's half time. Everyone was laughing and go, "Oh, City come back and win three <laughs> one." But they never really roused themselves in the second half, and I don't think that complacency. Yeah, I think it's a little bit. I think there's a, 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 a and, and Guardiola certainly wasn't complacent. He was going absolutely ballistic on the uh, you know on the touchline, and but but there is, as I say. And I and, and don't know why, because it happens under Mancini, it happens under Pellegrini. The, this is, the team has just, it games, had flat spells when they seem, to, they seem to get bored with it, being dominant. Yeah. And, and, um, and it's a strange, strange situation. They played with no
1: striker, didn't
0: they? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, well, both sides did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, mm.
1: yeah. And, uh, well, and, and for Chelsea, it was because of their lack of faith in Alvaro Morata, and, and also because Giroud doesn't have the pace to get mm. in behind, you know, so if you're basically slinging balls into the box, that's easy as pie for, for City to deal with. But I was more intrigued with, 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 with City... Play with no striker because, you know, they've got the ability. Those those strikers have got so much class and quality. Mm-hmm. Why would you play without one? Well, I mean, Pep talks about this, doesn't he? He talks about what, what
2: he likes is his forwards to be mobile and to press really high up the pitch, so that the so that the defence can play a really high line. But the downside of it is that um, the, there are not really enough goals. Again, last season at Chelsea, he did uh, Aguero was injured, but he did the uh, same thing. He's been in a car accident. Mm. He did the same thing, and he won one nil. And um, and you know everything was great, but Chelsea were in the game Mm. until the the final seconds, and they had you know they had an opportunity to equalise. And City again have been so dominant, but they're allowed. They they haven't put the game away, Mm. and it's a team that needs to put games away.
0: The player that intrigues me most in, in, in that side at the moment is Sane. Now, if you look at him as a prototypical modern footballer, he's got the lot: speed. Intelligence, really good one on one with people, but somehow he's still yet to find his mojo. Did he lose it when he lost his World Cup place? Him losing his World Cup place
1: suggests that maybe there is an issue because there was also a period uh, once the season began where he was left out of the City team as well. Mm-hmm. Nobody quite knows why, the specifics of that. Um, his, uh, his ability is undoubted, but. Has there been an issue behind the scenes that we don't know about, unrelated to what goes on on the pitch? It, we don't know. Interestingly enough, I was watching him. He was uh, he was uh, sort of in the
2: second half, He was over towards the press box, and he was he was hugging the line, and the ball was on the other side, and he seemed to he seemed to just lose concentration. You know, and, I, and he was quite near Guardiola and Guardiola. Hey, and, oh, oh, and all of a sudden he's back. And it yeah. seems, like, you know, it's like a bit daydreamy. <laughs> and um, you know, and I wonder whether that's an issue. I say I watched him. You know, so I, I paid particular attention to him in, in the second half because he was quite close. to us, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm very interested in. Um, you know, as you say, he's got everything, and why it's
1: not. But is well, that fine. maturity? Is it, 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 it depends, because I mean, I think uh, looking at that game of the weekend, a number of players seem to have lost concentration. And, mm. and a oh, number yeah, of yeah. players seem to. You know what struck me about it? They looked like a side that had believed in their own hype. Mm. You know, we have all been so effusive in our praise of that Manchester City, and rightly so. They've been brilliant. But the league has never won in November or December. But we've all been saying, oh, I think they're going to win it. Actually, we've been saying "We'll 10 points, 12 Mm. points, you know. And they just look like a side who have started to believe that instead of, you know, we've got to go out and continue to earn it. And I think the response to Saturday is going to, I fully expect them to go on a run. Mm. because I think you will kick a few of those players up the back. Oh so, right. Yeah, yeah, a few will be left out. There were a number of players in that team who looked as though they hadn't clocked on for the day and looked, felt it was only a matter of time before all of those passes you described resulted in a goal and they could close the game off. So I think as far as City are
0: concerned, I'm expecting a backlash, a big mm. backlash. Do you think, Tony, that uh, their strategic aim, you know, big picture stuff, is to win the Champions League as soon as possible, you know, preferably this season? If that is their aim, have they got a side good enough? And if not, who's going to be better than them? Well, I think they've.
2: I mean, they've struggled a little bit in Europe. Um, again complacency issues switching off I think I think they're good enough I think they need um, a bit more experience they froze a bit against Liverpool last year and and, and they have um, discipline problems I mean in that quarter final in the second leg they were so dominant in the first half again didn't put the game away but if Guardiola doesn't get sent off at half time I fully expect them to go on and beat Liverpool and, and go through but the, the kinds of it, it's, it's not quite there there's still there's still a little bit of sh- a bit of a way short and I think what they'll do they they, they make too many mistakes at the back they didn't make as many as Chelsea on Saturday but they still give the ball away in in bad positions and in Europe that'll get caught out and I think there's there's quite a few teams that will take advantage of that across Europe you know it's um, uh, Barcelona not least of the teams who do that Mm
0: -hmm. where does this leave Chelsea Darren? You know, cool. Sarri says, I don't need £200 million to go out and win the league. I mean, you do, mate, probably. <laughs> and What's the best. That? Yeah, absolutely. It's weird because David Louise
1: terrible against Spurs, uh, terrific against City. You know, Kante, the, arguably the world's best defensive midfielder, playing further up the pitch. it to Frank Lampard, didn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just perverse. I know Sarri should stop smoking, but I think he would have been tempted to get a cigar out at that point <laughs> when he stuck one away. Um... And and he will feel vindicated, but I still do think that Kante should not be playing anywhere else but the Uh, position where he's been so imperious over the last couple of seasons.
2: It's mad. It's absolutely mad. And, you know, again, another player, because he's doing this, you pay particular attention to Jorginho, and I'm like, Mm -hmm.
0: well, what's this all about? Mm. (laughs) You know, what? You ask any Italian coach to choose between Kante and Jorginho, to a man, they will choose Jorginho. And you know what? But that's all
2: fine. And then probably in Serie A, it's brilliant. But in the piece of, of the Premier League, where it's more important to get to the ball quickly... Uh, where it's proven. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, you know, Jorginho doesn't have that snap to the ball, can't he, Scott? Mm-hmm. So he's not getting his foot there. Um, and sometimes the play goes around him. And yes, you might say it's, uh, it's it's overly physical, the Premier League, and there's no tactics. And, you know, it's a, it's substandard football. And, you know, if an Italian wants to argue that with me, I'll probably agree okay. to a great extent. But you know what? It is the Premier League!
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing is, you know, it, 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 I reckon Sarri... Sari's brief is to get them back in the Champions League, at the very least. Mm. And if he fails, it could his job could be resting on the decision not to play Kante, mm. where Kante is most effective. The other thing, of course, is I think that even though he may be saying, I'm going to resist the temptation to go out and reinforce up front, they need more up front. Right. quite clearly... It doesn't have the robustness of a Drogba, a Costa. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have the consistency of any of those players. And if they persist with him, they will struggle because there is too much of an emphasis on other players to score goals, and he should be scoring those uh, you goals.
2: Know, he, not mentally, not physically. He's another one who's not suited to play in the Premier League. His movement's not good enough. He wants too much time on the ball. And then, this is the worst combination you can have in a striker. He wants too much time on the ball, but when he gets time on the ball... It's got into his mind and he's, he panics a little bit. Yes. So he doesn't, you know. So, so you know, it's a, a, a man who needs time on the ball, uh, not being suited to having time on the ball. The first time I saw him, I said to the guy next to me in the press box at um, Stamford Bridge, I said, I don't think he can play in this league. And I think he's another player who's not suited by the physicality and the pace in England. And,
0: and they need to go out and find someone who is suited. A player who does appear suited to the Premier League, uh, arguably the signing of the season, Lucas Torreira at Arsenal, 21 matches unbeaten and counting. He's been what they've been searching for for a long time. I saw him in the North London derby and he is that bite in midfield. You know, Very, very early
1: on, I took an, my first note was him upending Deli Alley on the far side touchline, almost like, I'm, I'm up for this, are you? And uh, he drove them forward. He is what they've been missing for so long. I think since the likes of Vieira and Petit. It was it, it was a great battle that because um you, you know Ali was at his niggly
2: cynical best yes, and and yes, yes. and you know it's uh you know was was equally when he when he arrived he'd, um, he um it seemed to have uh, Enjoyed the post World Cup festivities a little bit, a little bit too much. And, um, yeah, and, and he wasn't in, in the sort of condition that Emery wanted, but he, as he's got fit, his mobility's improved. And, you know, I mean, him and played yes. playing as a two in, in that midfield works. Who's the thought playing people in the positions that suit them? Works. Awesome.
1: You know the interesting thing as well. You know we talk about how centre halves like Ledley King at Spurs and mm. Virgil Van Dijk at, um, at Liverpool um, help players around them. He makes Shaka look a better player. Yeah. It, it, it's weird how. Um, the influence that he has got on that centre mm. of the park and how much snap and bite and they and got now got in the middle of the park, but also his ability to get goals as well. Scored a well-taken mm. finish against Spurs, scored again at the weekend. He is somebody who could maybe get eight or ten goals by the end of the yeah. season.
0: A, a question for you, Tony. Now, I, I suspect I know the answer. If you're the Arsenal manager and you get a bid of £25 million for Mesut Ozil, do you sell?
2: I've, what do you, I, I, I drive from the airport. <laughs> You know, it's. Um,
1: and I can't I, believe you asked him. That.
2: <laughs> you know, it's like. I, I mean, this is. This is the most frustrating player. He's. He's. Well, I mean, you know, he's. He's. He's the natural heir to Glenn Oddle, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Prodigiously talented and and relatively ineffective. And enough medals, so people go, oh, you know, lucky. You know, how can you talk about him? But you know what? Doesn't turn enough games for his talent. Yeah. And yet, um you know. <laughs> Who's gonna pay him three hundred and fifty grand a week? Though I mean, not even Manchester United are stupid enough. Not even Ed Woodward would do that deal.
1: You know, it's interesting because two of the in the space of those four days, uh, the Sunday and the, what was it, the Wednesday, they played Spurs and Manchester United, two of the biggest games of the season. Now, a player like him, marquee player like him, you expect him to be in those games, but they were games for street fighters, for courageous, stout hearts. Um... I'm about to go with Shakespeare there. But, you know, but, but they were games that you want players that you can rely on. And he quite clearly cannot be relied on. And if you were to tot up the amount of times he's got back spasm, flu, cold, you know, I mean, the guy should be in a, in, in a little incubator, shouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. um, I think that it's very clear that he's not part of, uh, the manager's plans going forward and yeah I do expect him to go he, he may have to accept he yes, to take a cut in his wages I think they may take a hit on his price but I think if he wants to play football on a regular basis he'll have to leave in January And
2: I, I think he's the sort of player again who is probably would be better off playing in a different league to the Premier League yeah. he's um as good as he is and, and it's a terrible shame because when he's on he's a joy to watch yeah, yeah. but the, the interesting thing is this season you know, as I, I always say when talking about Arsenal I'd be banging my head on the table in the press box I haven't done it once this season
0: right. managers um, you know, tend to prove themselves in Europe mm-hmm. Steven Gerrard again they've got a, uh, a must win game in, uh, in Vienna um, what do you make of his apprenticeship so far he had a bad week last week you know, dropped four points in, in Scotland but he seems to be relishing the whole process. He's given a complete respectability back to that football club. Now people um,
1: going to matches expecting the players to turn up. Um, he's imposed his personality on the club. He's uh, imposed an authority on the managerial position. Um, if you cast your mind back to his predecessors, uh, they were battling with players who were standing up to him in the dressing room. Um, none of that happens under Steven Gerrard. Um, Everyone says that he's auditioning perhaps to go back to Liverpool in the long term and take over. I don't see him too, doing too badly as far as that's concerned. You see him in press conferences. I know he, he launched a really staunch defence of Morelos, for example. Oh. Uh, I think it was Craig Levine who may have uh, criticised him the other day. Yeah. And he goes into bat for his players and he makes it clear that he won't have them aligned in any way, shape or form. He calls for referees to protect them. The players will appreciate that the way he goes into bat for them. And I just think at, at the club, that there is a new image to that club. They're not the pushovers that they used to be and they're not the joke figure that they
0: used to be mm-hmm.
1: in that league now. They are a club to be taken seriously.
0: What I found really interesting yesterday when they drew at Dundee, he came out for his TV interviews afterwards basically having given the players the floor. That was his, that was his phrase. Now that means basically it all kicks off amongst mm. the players. Um, that is typical of a manager who is still, in essence, a player at heart, isn't mm. it? Oh, definitely, definitely.
2: And he's found, it, he's found it difficult to make the transition. I don't think he realised how hard it was to be a manager. And I think probably he looks back at his relationship with some Liverpool managers mm. and thinks to himself, well, maybe I was... Yeah. You know,
0: but, but obviously... Players... To be fair, he admitted that yeah. to me. You know, it, yeah. it was... look. I realize this is hard mm, mm. this yeah. is
2: difficult but you know he's he's he he's started it in the right way I mean I, I think in some of his press conferences that you know he's got a touch a dog leash about him yeah. the way he, yeah. sort of um the, the way he cuts cuts the, the situation off mm. early and um, and uh, you know they, they they haven't had the best week, but
1: they are at least competitive, which mm-hmm. is a long time since range. Who's the player who was sitting alongside where the player? Someone asked him about um, January or something, and he cut in and said, look, yeah. you know these players don't perform for me. You know, you, yeah. sorry." Mm-hmm. He said, "If you want to ask questions like that, ask me. Yeah. I'll answer for. I'll answer for. You mm-hmm. know, there's, um, that's taking there's that,
2: take Yeah, and, and and there is a great sense of him being in." Mm. In charge, and uh, which you didn't actually see that much as a, as a player. He was he, he was the player who led by inspiration yes. rather than a talker and a you know. Um, and I, I think that's part of his personality that he's he, he's sort of adapting to management. And at this stage, he seems to be doing a, uh, a fair job of
0: it. Mm. You know, Liverpool really well. Mm. Can you see him back there?
2: Yes, I can, but I think it'll be some way down the line and he would have to prove himself significantly. I think uh, if it all goes wrong and he gets sacked, I think they'd have him back. But I think he's hoping, and there are people around Liverpool who hoping that he'll come back as a successful, um, a successful manager at some point. Mm.
0: You know, I'd like to end with you know, having a, a good look at uh, the Raheem Sterling situation. Um, you know, you've been you know, very vocal and very passionate about you know, the response um, Raheem has basically blamed the media for fueling racism both overtly and covertly um I think probably there is a sympathy within this studio that that probably is right um Where are we, uh, at what point are we in this debate? Because everyone agrees it's an absolutely fundamental debate, not just to our game, but almost by implication to society. What can we do to move this process on? Well, Andy Dunn, the chief sports
1: writer at the Daily Mirror, spoke yesterday about it. And he said, if we, at any level, even subliminally, unconsciously, Contribute in the way that we report on black players in a manner that <clears throat> uh, yeah feeds into this negative uh, narrative, then we have to look at ourselves i don 't think it 's ever a bad thing for our industry mm-hmm. to to look at ourselves and examine the way we go about things i cannot I have to speak as a black man first, and when before I came into the industry, I would look at the papers and I would see how. Uh, players were described, our situations were described, um, with a frustration, really, because none of it was from a black perspective. Mm. All of it was from the perspective of white middle-class men. Mm. And, you know, I'd see silly things like, you know, players' hair being lampooned and stuff like that because there was no real cultural understanding Mm. of why they would have it in that manner. You know, players' names being sent up, ridiculous stuff, Mm. which some people might say is trivial. You know, But it's all it all feeds into it. And I think, you know, coming into the industry, um, I have to point out that these days there is a terrific will within our industry to understand these problems and to address them. And our colleagues are doing great work, you know, and we can name any number of them across our newspapers who are doing great work. But it hasn't always been the case, and we have to accept that. And it still remains the case that we don't have any people of colour editing newspapers in this country. We don't have... Um, w- what we have is a situation where if negative uh, stuff, for example, Sterling made his own point yesterday, it, it, people would jump on bandwagons instead of kind of getting behind the, the pushback. And so we need to accept that it, it, there are lots of different aspects of this to look at. Broadcast media have to accept there are lots of different aspects of this to look at. It isn't just about what's in print. It's about the language we use, the language we accept, uh, the perspectives that we have, um, and if we can embrace all of that, then we've got a chance. But I think if we, I see, I'm still seeing debates framed as: Is Raheem right? Is there really any debate about a player not wanting to be abused on the basis of the colour of his skin? No. It's not, is Raheem right? It's, how can we get behind him, as you asked, mm. and move this thing forward?
0: Yeah. You've been a senior executive, newspaper mm. executive, Tony. You know, we look across our, our media. You know, there are examples that we could call out from The Sun in the tabloid market, The Mail in the mid-market. You know, we even had a, broad, uh, a broadsheet journalist uh, accusing people of support, who supported Sterling in previous—I you know, think it was to do with the tattoos at the time—of of virtue signaling. That's a problem that we've got to address by ourselves. Now, give an indication of why, you know, from a, from the, the 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 standpoint of a senior executive, that these stories get out into the public domain. Is it just pure opportunism? Well, I, I think there's too many
2: people. In this country and in the newspaper industry, who are resentful of a young black man's success, who don't think they deserve it, especially playing a kid's game, and it speaks to a deep, deeper racism in society. I mean, I mean, I think we've all, in our um, in our careers, had experiences of. I mean Darren's experiences are so much different and worse but we've all exp- I've, I've had experience of people behaving within the industry in a racist manner and I, I I attempted to call them out and you know and and basically get them sacked and it it wasn't treated seriously enough and it goes on in across the business and I think it's a I, I think it, it's traditionally been a terrible thing, um, because racism, there's there's a really murky undercurrent in this society, and it's getting worse with the politics of mm. today, the poisonous mm. politics, where people want to make it a less inclusive and less cosmopolitan country, and uh, m- my view is we've got to do all we can to make it more inclusive, more cosmopolitan, And and if you're not fighting that battle on a daily basis, you're part of the problem. Uh, But there's lots
1: of people in the newspaper industry who are part of the problem. I I think you're right, Tony. I think, you know, we're we're pointing to the incidences that we've seen on the terraces, but the terraces are where it leads. We have to look at the culture. And the culture isn't just one or two newspapers. The culture is a, is a, a whole society culture, you know, from we want our country back... Um, And, you know, you contrast that to uh, the 70s, where, you know, there was an influx of immigration and you've got prime ministers saying, we must keep this under review. You Mm -hmm. know, we have to look at the amount of people coming into this country. Look at the similarities. But all
0: that that said, should football and could football do more? Football can absolutely do more.
1: But what we have is a situation where um, people who do things... Are allowed to wriggle out of it. Before social media, I'll give you an example. Before social media, you would have seen a banana skin on the floor at a game, and you would not have been able to find the person, or before CCTV as well, you would not have been able to find the person who did it. Uh, at the weekend, and we know we can't go too much into this because of, of, of the um, procedural uh, issues, but they're, without footage to be shown on social media, we would never have known about the the, the gravity of that particular oh. situation. Or the apparent gravity. Or yeah. the apparent gravity of that situation, indeed. And I think what, what football has to do is it's got to be robust. It's got we, the, these guys, not five or ten years bans, lifetime bans, oh. straight away. Um, it's got to be willing to report this. As I said, I started off by saying, you know, I... I industry now at the moment there is a will to report this kind of thing when i started in this industry Mm. there was not a will and that's an inescapable truth there was not a will to to report on these things because it was too tricky legally because it was one words one person's word against another because players would come out and say i vehemently deny this and i vehemently deny that and where do you go with that um and they were not There was just not that, that climate to pursue stuff. Now that has changed. It's very, very different now. But where football can go, it can look at the way that it reports on things like this and it can listen to what Raheem is saying. It's not a question of, is Raheem right? It's how can we support Raheem and other players? How can we empower them to come forward and speak? Because back in the day, players wouldn't speak because they were worried. If they did they'd be marginalised, ostracised, out of the game. Canterville talks about the fact he responded to somebody, never played for Chelsea again. Mm. So now we have to have a situation where players feel they can come out and speak, and I hope Sterling empowers yeah. other players to do that.
0: We, I wanted to try and get some um, feedback from the from the viewers and the listeners. A couple of questions from them. Uh, Owen Mayers, do we see this post, i.e. the, the, the Sterling's post on Instagram, causing widespread wide-scale change, or are we going to need a larger movement before we can put an end to this hideous reporting?
2: Well, I hope it changes things, and I hope people look at what they're doing critically and, you know, and say, why is Phil Foden buying a house for his mum treated differently to Raheem Sterling buying a house for his mum? Because two young players spending, spending money the veins, Um, you know, what, what's the problem there? Oh, one's black, one's white, one's good, one's bad. So we need to think about that and not just idly crank the pieces out, which, you know, for which happens. So I think that's important. And the, the other thing is football has got loads of problems and it, it, loads needs to be addressed. But football has been one of the forces for for good over the you know sort of over the past four decades you know it's actually get given opportunity for you know sort of young black players to come through and now there's so many you know i remember a time when i remember a time when only clive best he was the only black player in, in in the top flight and whole grounds were making monkey noises you know every week not just so so we've moved on in that
1: sense but what can i just slightly slightly just interject at that point i mean I, I actually think, and, you, and, and you're right, in so much as we, we are not at that point. But I do worry that we use that phrase "we've moved forward." I, I hear it a lot. We've made progress, and it almost encourages. And I'm not saying you're doing that, but it always I think in the wider concepts, there is a complacency because there is a mistaken belief that because we've moved forward, it's okay. But if you look, you talk about the many black players we have. Mm. Still, a fraction of them are managers in this country. Yeah. When you raise it on social media, people say, "Oh, Darren Lewis talking about." Tony Evans talking about black managers again. Oliver Holt, who's a fierce advocate for it at The, at the Mail. Uh, Danny Taylor at The Guardian, who are all going on about black this and black that. People don't want to have the debate. When you tell people about how the, the lazy tropes and stereotypes about black players being lazy all feed into this culture, they don't want to... Have, how dare you say I can't say this? How dare you say I can't say that? So the, we have to want, as an industry, to hold firm... Mm. And, and actually educate people about why these things are negative. Tim, well, well, Tim what, Smith, well, not, sorry, I was so, just, just yeah, going to say, yeah.
2: what well, well, I was about to say, continue, I was, was oh, going to make that point. I was going to say, you know, but people are complacent about it. Yes. It's, it's, you know, and things are backsliding at the moment. Yes.
0: You know, things are heading back to that bad place. Tony, Tim Smith asks, do you think there's a difference between the approach of some football journos and some news sports journals, back page v front page.
2: Oh, without a doubt, um, you, 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 it, it was always the bane of life when the front, front end got involved. You, you were news
1: editor, You were a news editor, were
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, it, um, so, but you know, whenever, whenever the front end got involved in sport, the, the, there was a great capacity for it to be, the, the whole story to be cocked up, and certainly from the, the way the front pages. Of certain newspapers have treated Raheem Sterling, it's just it's reprehensible, mm. and uh, you know this. Uh, the thing is, well, you know he, he, you wonder about Raheem Sterling. He's a he's an extremely talented young player with a work ethic that is is absolutely ab- ab- admirable, and. Um, you know for the way he's being treated, and but there's still there's still plenty of sports journalists who are unconsciously
0: racist. I want to try and balance this up, if I could. Also, two two observations by a couple of listeners. The first from Mark Colley. I've just read that Robbie Earle has stated that racism is a cancer in football. I can't agree with that. Certain clubs have a history, but not a, not but a lot, including my own. West Brom have always promoted diversity. The second point made by Martin G. don't agree with Sterling there's still an issue in the game but just because he has a theory on the media doesn't mean it's gospel. Well I, I think
1: it's quite indicative of the, the backlash that the debate is receiving that we're going to get comments like that but I think the truth is inescapable. Kick It Out's report uh, only last week, talked about the rise in the number, the worrying rise in the number of cases of racism. Mm. Um, the two incidents, both at Premier League matches. You know, the the incidences that we've seen before have largely been at sort of lower league matches, mm-hmm. the league ones, your league, twos, your league twos, Premier League matches, high-profile televised games. We're seeing incidents like that. So, the idea that um, it's no longer in a game, I don't buy. A, a go along with that, and. I think it is a wider problem. We can talk all we like about individuals, that matches, and what they do, but if there is a culture that enables or empowers those 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 individuals to behave in that way, then and, and if unconsciously, you know, and it's perfectly possible that unconsciously there may not be a, a, an inherent will to do something, but if unconsciously we may be feeding into it, then. If we if it forces us, if what Sterling said forces us to look at ourselves, that surely can only be a good mm. thing. Okay. There are no 90-minute
0: racists, there's just racists. Well, we all love newspapers. They've given the three of us fulfilling and fortunate lives. Raheem Sterling's done us all a favour by highlighting a harsh, inescapable truth. Elements in our industry encourage subtle and occasionally sinister racism. Enough is enough. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,
1: HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.